your servant And I am listening Speak to me, Lord, speak to me Speak to me Welcome to a life-changing encounter with the Word of God presented to you by the Macarius Church Headquarters. This great teaching provides clear and straightforward answers for anyone desiring to walk according to the Word of God. Enjoy some of the most comprehensive and down-to-earth teachings as taught at the Macarius Church Headquarters. I am listening, I am waiting, speak to me. Clapping for the Lord, clapping for the Lord. What a blessing. What a blessing. Please be seated for a few seconds. We are blessed to be here this beautiful sunny morning. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm so glad God made me sit by you. And you are going to have a great time this morning. This morning we are blessed to have a very special person amongst us. Pastor Bill Vasilakis is coming all the way from Australia. You'll be there. But I don't think he's the one taking you. You have to go by yourself. He didn't come to take you to Australia, but he came to take you to the throne of grace, to the presence of God. Hallelujah. Pastor Bill and his wife made their home in Australia. I think Melbourne. Adelaide. Okay, Adelaide. Adelaide. Adelaide is not just somebody's name. It's actually a place. Every time you call Australia, you only think of Sydney, Australia. But now we have, we have seen somebody coming from Adelaide. It doesn't mean there are only ladies there. It's a very beautiful place. And um, they, they've been traveling for the past 36 hours. It took them 36 hours from home to hotel in Accra. They've come from very, very far. And um, for which purpose to be with us, first of all, at the Give Thyself Holy Conference that begins from Tuesday dawn. Give Thyself Holy Conference this time will be starting at 4 a.m. on Tuesday with the flow prayers. So we are going to have a great time from dawn all the way to 12 noon will be the first session. So the flow prayers will, 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 will flow into the first session and then all the way to 12 noon. But he's also on the board of Healing Jesus campaign and has been a great supporter of our prophet and the evangelist taking the gospel to the nations of the world. And um, on this occasion when they came this time, we thought it fit to have them visit our church because he's not just attending the conference, he's also loaded with word and anointing for God's people. Yes. 
And so we are glad at the Macarius Cathedral to have this great servant of the Lord from Christian from Christian Family Center all the way from Adelaide being ahead of many churches affecting many 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 souls all over the nation and I know that today your life my life will never be the same again let's please welcome Pastor Bill and his wife Kathy Kathy please join him up here It's wonderful to be here in Accra, and uh, it is, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, and uh, my wife and I, as uh, uh, Bishop Eddie said, took us 36 hours to get here, and when we arrived, we went to sleep for 12 hours, so we're okay, but uh, I'd like Cathy to say hello to you. Hello everybody, it's such a pleasure to be here, and we're so looking forward to it, I've got to tell you the miracle that happened to me the last time I was here. So in 2017, which was the last time I was here, I fell over in the bathroom, slipped on a white porcelain shiny tile and as I went down I smashed my shoulder on the side of the bath. I had seven fractures in my um, arm and a detached... um, uh, tendon etc and I was medically retrieved back to Australia so I didn't see any of the conference um, and when I got back to Australia my orthopaedic surgeon said to me Mrs Vasilakis I can't operate on this right now he said it's like um, eggshell and he said I, I've got to, it's got to wait for a few weeks to settle down and he said I want to tell you now that after I operate on this, you'll never be able to lift your arm again. You'll be able to do it to about here. And I said, okay. So we went home and we prayed every every week in church for the next couple of weeks as we were praying and worshipping. Bill had lay hands on my shoulder and pray for it. Um, the doctor said to me, you mustn't move it, just keep it still in a sling for the next few weeks until the swelling goes down and then we'll see what we're going to do. Went back to the surgeon and he said, just before we get started on this, Mrs Vasilakis, just show me what you can do. And I said to him, there you go. <laughs> yes. Totally healed. And you know... He said, Mrs. Vasilakis, you've just done me out of $3,000. And uh, he said, I'm not going to touch it. He said, it's healed better than what I could do. And Bill's sitting there with me and he goes, well, you know, we prayed for a healing. And he said, well, I don't know what you're doing, but whatever you're doing, keep doing it. (laughs) 
So what turned out to be a, a bad situation certainly has been a testimony that has been ongoing to the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God. Um, and so it's a pleasure to come back and we are so looking forward to it. I bring greetings from our church in Adelaide and some of our church, all of our churches around Australia. We're just about to go back and have our big national conference in September. Um, so please don't mind me if you see me taking photos, will you? Because uh, we like to show our people what we're doing. So bless you. We're just so thrilled to be here and can't wait to see what God's going to do in this country uh, in the next week. Thank you. Wonderful. You may be seated. Um, yeah, so at church, when uh, every time there was worship, we just felt that was a point of contact, that while the people were worshipping, I would turn and lay hands on Kathy and speak in tongues, just pray in tongues, expecting the Holy Spirit to do a gift. And so we saw no evidence until we went to the doctor several weeks later. So, so never give up praying. Uh, never give up praying. It, I believe in prayer and pills. Go to the doctor, but also go to Dr. Jesus first, okay? So uh, uh, whatever your need is today, Jesus is here among us through the Holy Spirit. And he so wants to touch us. So Jesus is in heaven, but through his spirit, he is ministering on earth the things that he did when he walked this earth. And so I'm trusting that the... What I share with you today is very much about Jesus. I want to lift him up and give you a perspective of Jesus from some chapters in the Bible that are famous. It's John chapter 19 and Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. I want to connect them together so that you get a picture of Jesus, the suffering servant on your behalf. The suffering servant on your behalf. The suffering of Jesus and his death by crucifixion is the heart of the Christian faith. I was so thrilled with all the songs as I was listening to them. Every one of them was about Jesus. Every one of them was about his love for us and what he accomplished through his life, death, resurrection and continuing ministry. And so... In John chapter 19, we see the true king and his amazing self-giving love. That's what his love is. His love is a self-giving love. Jesus enters into our suffering and becomes sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He truly is the suffering servant willing to lay down his own life to do his father's will and to secure your salvation. He didn't do it for himself. He did it for you and for me. That he would secure our salvation through his terrible suffering on a cross 2,000 years ago. He didn't die because he had done anything wrong. He died because we had done wrong things. 
And our sins needed to be forgiven. Our sins needed to be cancelled out. And only God himself could do it by coming to earth as a human being. So in John chapter 19, verse 30, it's interesting what Jesus says on the cross. He's dying on the cross. He says several things, and uh, I did a series once on all the statements of Jesus from the cross. Oh, it was fantastic. Every statement. There was about seven or eight messages I did, and I've only done it once. I'd like to do it again sometime. But the final one, he says, it is finished. He cries this on the cross, and then he gives up his spirit. He is saying... The work is done. The price has been paid. But interestingly, Jesus himself was in control of his death, not the Roman executioners. Do not think it was the Romans that killed him. They could not kill God. Even though he was Jesus of Nazareth and he went through the process of crucifixion, Jesus said... No one has the power to take my life. I willingly choose to give my life to save you. So on the cross, on the cross, he fulfilled this promise of John chapter 10, verse 18. He says, no one takes my life from me. I give it up willingly. I have the power to give it up and the power to receive it back again, just as my Father commanded me to do. But even death is not the last word, because the centurion, when he saw Jesus die, it freaked him out. He'd never seen anything like this before. Here was a 33-year-old carpenter. He was strong. He would walk everywhere, hundreds of kilometres. He was fit and well. He had no physical illness. He could live on a cross for three or four days. The aim of the cross was that people would suffer and gradually die and gradually asphyxiate where they couldn't breathe and push themselves up. It was a terrible, cruel death. He's up there for a few hours. He says certain things. He says to John, 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 look after my mum. He sees... A man next to him who's calling out, rebuking the other thief. One thief is cursing Jesus. The other thief goes, Jesus, would you remember me when you come to your own? Because he tells off the other guy. He says, listen, we're here because we deserve to die. This man is innocent. Jesus, will you remember me? And here is Jesus suffering, dying, and he remembers him and says, son, this day you'll be with me in paradise. This day. Hallelujah. So he ministers to his mum. He ministers to a dying thief. He even ministers to his murderers. If you've ever seen the film The Passion, have you seen Mel Gibson's film The Passion? Did Did you see the faces on those executioners? Executioners are barbaric people. They become like devils. When they have total power over a human being, even today, where there's wars, where they have total power over a human being, the things they do are unbelievable. And those men tortured Jesus. They were brutal people. And you know what? Jesus, looking at them, he found something that he could talk to his father about. He says, Father, forgive them because they're stupid. They don't know what they're doing. They're ignorant. 
forgive them because I don't know what they're doing. And that forgiveness comes to us because it was because of our sins that he died on a cross. So when he says forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. So in our sins, in our rebellion, in our hardship, in our difficulties, in our we don't know what we're doing. But God loves human beings so much that he found a way by which he could save them and remain perfectly just. Because the person that sinned had to be punished. Sin was a serious matter with God. So God couldn't just say, oh, I'll just start again. You know, boys will be boys and girls will be girls. I'll just, I'll just wink at sin. From the Old Testament, there had to be a shedding of blood. There had to be a sacrificial system. All these little animals, thousands of them that were killed to cover sin, was only temporary until God himself became the Lamb of God. So when Jesus is on the cross... And he said, into your hands, Lord, I give you my spirit. It is finished. He just goes, dies. What? The centurion is looking up going, what the heck is going on here? How can a man choose to die just like that? How can he get his heart to stop? How can he... And he said, surely this man, surely this is a God person. Surely this is a son of God. Because this is unnatural. This is unnatural. But that's what he said. He says, I choose to lay down my life. And I choose to rise it up again. He did it for you and for me. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Isaiah. So let's slip, flip from John 19 to Isaiah 52 and 53. Beautiful passages. In Isaiah 53 verse 11 it says, When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous for he will bear all their sins. You today, here in this place, are the fulfilment of that prophetic word. He will make many righteous. Isaiah 53 verse 5 tells us how Jesus saves us. And it's a magnificent statement. It says, he, Jesus, was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins, He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Going back to John 19, there's a scene there where Pontius Pilate, he wants to meet Jesus and he tries Jesus. Jesus had three trials. Three trials. And with Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate was a Roman governor, and he knew that this man was innocent. But he was a cowardly man. He gave in to the opinions of people. And it's interesting what Pontius Pilate says. Amazing what he says. He says in in John chapter 19, verse 5, that Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns, and the purple robe, okay? So he lets his guards mock him. Put on a purple, you think you're a king, put on a purple 
robe and, and a crown of thorns. And uh, the crown of thorns and the beatings that he undertook were awful, awful beatings. And then this is what Pilate said. Look, here is the man. Look, here is the man. How ironic that here standing before the governor is the true image of the true God. And he says, here is the man. He didn't recognize him. Here is the one who has brought God's wisdom, God's grace, God's power into the world so everyone could see for themselves what God was really like. Before Jesus, we had a confused picture of God. We didn't understand him fully. And even today, all the religions of the world, all the philosophies of the world, try and find meaning and try and find purpose. But you know, God has said, I'm going to eliminate false views of what I'm like. Because people have crazy views of what God is like. He says, I'm going to visit the planet as a human being. And you're going to touch me, you're going to hear me, I'm going to speak to you, I'm going to share. And when we read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, all about Jesus, we think, wow, I like this God. I like this God. He is different to the false gods, to the, the images that people have. Even some Christian people have crazy notions of what God the Father is like. But when you look into Jesus and read what he said and enter into the experience of how he talked and reacted and interreacted and, and healed and blessed, whether it's kids, women, older people, you know what? You see what God the Father is like. And all the false images, the false notions of God, oh, being an angry God with a great big stick ready to hit you over the head if you sin. That's not the image that Jesus presented. And he said, when you look at me, when you hear me, you're looking at the Father. You're looking at God. So he came to reveal to us exactly what God is like. If you're struggling to understand what God the Father is like, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. If you've grown up in a situation where your natural father was not the best, okay? Now, my, my natural daddy was a beautiful man. Okay, he was a Greek man. I, I'm, I'm, I'm an Australian, born in Australia, but I'm fully Greek. That's my ethnicity. I'm not, a, I'm not an Anglo. I'm a Greek man. And my, my first language was Greek. I can read and speak and write Greek. That's why Makarios said to Kathy, that's a Greek word. It means blessed. It means happy. Hey, Makarios. So you Ghanaians pinch all our Greek words and use them for yourself. But you see, I had a great daddy. So when I became a Christian and I looked into the face of Jesus, I said, oh, yeah, I see a perfect daddy. My daddy was wonderful, but not perfect. No one's perfect. But he never did anything to crush my spirit. He never did anything to abuse me or to hurt me. So therefore, my understanding of God the Father was, became very easy. My wife has another story. She came from a very abusive family. Where her father would beat her, beat her, beat her as a little kid. Badly, really badly. Enough that today he would be put in jail for many years. So Kathy struggled to understand God the Father. 
what God the Father is really like. And it took her time. And I remember her saying to me once, oh, you want me to come down there? Oh, okay. I'm happy to come down here. Yeah. Except my notes are up there. So you want to grab my notes and stuff and bring them here? I'm happy to be here. This is good. And you know, she got healed of this hurt, this trauma, because her natural daddy, the damage that was done, blocked her from understanding fully what God the Father was like. It took time. And you know, it was, she said to me once, it was some of the old men in the church that would be at the door. I noticed at the door today there were all these beautiful young girls that were there. And I'm thinking, where are the old men? <laughs> and a couple of our older men, father figures, every time Kathy would come in, they'd say, oh, hello, love, give her a hug and a, and a kiss and, and just a, a, you know, a greeting. And years later she said to me, those men showing me love, embrace, true fathers, and also my father who came to live with us, she said, that did so much more to me. I said, did it do more than all my messages? She says, yes. <laughs> so sometimes in the church, the community of the church, you need strong men, strong women to, to love and embrace to those that are coming in who have who have perhaps been damaged. And so here we find in this, in this story where he says, look here, this is, just, this is just a man. This is just a man. Pilate, forever, forever and ever you're going to remember those words because right before you was God in human form and you didn't recognise him. And you sent him to his death knowing that he was an innocent man. But God had a purpose to save humanity. And he could have even saved Pilate if Pilate repented and turned to him. And so here in this amazing story in John 19 and in Isaiah 52 and 53, we see the gospel, the good news, the love of God, the salvation of God that's been made available for you and me. You know, the, the, the Isaiah was written 700 years before the birth of Christ. And that's why they say Isaiah is the fifth gospel, really, in many respects. The fifth gospel. I like that term, the fifth gospel. It's the fifth gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Isaiah. And when you read Isaiah, you see Jesus in so many ways. And so you see his life and his ministry, his death and burial, his resurrection, his exaltation. And so it's a marvellous thing. Let me read to you just one portion here. In fact, um, I'll jump to, I'll come back to Isaiah 52 because it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful portion but I'd like just to read Isaiah 53, verse 6. It says, The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Okay? The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all of us. Folks, I can't explain the cross fully. I've been a Christian for 52 years. 
I got saved when I was 17 years of age, so you can work out how old I am. I've been a Christian. You know what? I, I cannot fully explain the cross. What actually happened there? All that I know is that I accept what God says happened there, that somehow my sin, my iniquity was placed on Jesus and that he gave me the free gift of a right standing with him, not based on anything that I can do, but on what he did for me. It's free. It's grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense come to you. And so I can't explain the cross, what took place there, but I accept it. And I, it's a bit like people say, ah, oh, the love of God. How do, you, how do you fully grasp the love of God? I don't think you can outside of viewing a cross. Because God's light comes through the cross. And when it comes through the cross, it then it's like a prism and you see the beautiful colours of the light. And then God's life comes to change our hearts when we've seen that we're sinners and that he took our sin. We see his love like we've never seen it before. You cannot understand the love of God, the love of Christ, without going through a cross, without lifting up the cross. And so the more you focus on the cross of Jesus. That's why the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, do you know how much, what percentage of the gospel centre on the final week of his life? About half. Half the Gospels centre on the final week. In fact, one of the Gospels centres on the final day, about a third of the Gospel. Most biographies talk about the person's life and then the final page after page 300 there's a paragraph that says, and he died, and they buried him. Not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Their focus is on the final days of Jesus' life and what happened at the cross. Why? So that you get a focus on it. Never graduate, my brothers and sisters, from having a vision of the cross. The more you focus on the cross, the more you'll understand the love of God. The more you'll understand the power of God. Without a cross, there is a Christianity is powerless. A crossless Christianity is a powerless Christianity. So that's why you've got to live in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, focus who Jesus is, what he said, and then what happened there on Mount Golgotha changed eternity. So the more you focus on that, the more you'll understand God's love, God's grace, God's power. Sin is a burden that grows heavier and heavier the longer we resist God. I don't know if there's anyone here today where you haven't yet crossed over the line of faith. That maybe you have a general faith in God, but you don't have a personal faith in God. Perhaps you know that Jesus is there, but you, you're not assured that Jesus is on the inside. I'd love to give you an opportunity before we finish this service that you cross the line and say, look, I, I want to become a genuine born-again believer. I need to become, get on God's side and to, and to believe upon him. You see, King David, in Psalm 38, verse 4, he says, My guilt overwhelms me. It is a burden too heavy to bear. And King David had sinned. 
He had sinned badly. Even though he was called to be the king, he had Saul trying to murder him. And as a young man, he had to run for his life. And in his running for his life, he kind of backslid a bit. He did some things that were, ooh, not the... You read it and you go, David, you were called to be king. Just because Saul is opposing God, what are you doing becoming a hired gun for the Philistines? He became a mercenary with his boys, fighting for the Philistines, the devil people. And he would kill men, women and children with, with abandon. David was a killer. Away from God, he was a killer. And he could kill a person without even thinking. As a mercenary, he did terrible things. This is before he became king, during his time of confusion, during his time of struggle. No wonder he says, I feel guilty, I feel shame. Even God said, remember when David raised the money to build the temple? Billions of dollars. Then God goes, oh, David, yeah, you can raise the money, you can do the plans, but your son's going to build it. Why? God said, David, you've killed too many people. You've shed too much blood. So that, this pre-crowned king, this mercenary, had accumulated a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, a lot of fear. He needed forgiveness. And then when he becomes king, he's a magnificent king, an amazing king. Never allows idolatry in, unlike Solomon and all the other kings. They brought in their Asherah poles and Baal worship. David never. Just the worship of God. He stayed true to God. But he still sinned. He had an innocent man murdered because of his lust for that man's wife. It was a terrible sin. When you read the story of Uriah the Hittite, he is a magnificent man. I tell you, when I get to heaven, and if Uriah's over there and David's over there, do you know who I'm going to go to first? Uriah. I say, Uriah, you are magnificent. A Hittite who believed on God and became one of his great captains. And David, in his miserable, sinful behaviour, brings him back from the front and says, go and sleep with your wife. Why? Because David had slept with his wife. And she fell pregnant. So he's trying to trick him. Do you know what Uriah says? No, I'm going to sleep on the steps outside. How can I go and have pleasure with my wife when my men are out there fighting for their lives? David didn't know what to do, so he gets him drunk. Another sin. Gets him drunk and says, no, no, go, go, go into your wife. Go and have sex with her. You know, enjoy yourself. And Uriah wouldn't do it. How can I do it? What an honourable man. He said, How can I go and have pleasure and not be thinking of my men who are risking their lives? I should be there. So at the end, David had him murdered. He says to Joab, get him out the front where the, the most arrows are falling. Put him there, then pull your soldiers back. And he dies. That's a terrible sin. That's a terrible sin. But David found forgiveness. He found grace. So no matter what you have done in the past, 
before you were a Christian, pre-being crowned like David, or after you've become a Christian, you can still sin as a Christian. It's not impossible for a Christian to sin, but it is possible for a Christian not to sin. You understand? It's not impossible for a Christian to sin because the sin principle is within us. But it is possible for a Christian not to sin when they allow the Holy Spirit who is stronger to dominate them so they don't have to go back there. But my brothers and sisters, if you have sinned and you're still carrying guilt and shame, these words of King David are so important. He says this, My guilt overwhelms me It is a burden too heavy for me. See, he sinned big time, but I'll tell you what, he repented even bigger. And he knows that God is the only answer when he says, Do not abandon me, O Lord. Do not stand at a distance, my God. Come quickly to help me, O Lord, my Saviour. And some of you need to, to come to a place where you say, You know what, my past sins before I came to Christ, I can think about them but they don't have any power over me. The sins that I've committed as a Christian, if you've asked for forgiveness, you can look at them and say, yep, I made a mistake. Yes, I didn't do the right thing, but I have now received the forgiveness and grace of God. Because God accepts you as you are. He doesn't wait for you to say, oh, you change your behaviour first and then I'll accept you. He doesn't say that. He says, come as you are, with all your sins. Come to the Saviour. You can't say, well, I'll wait till I'm perfect. I'll wait till I'm a good boy. No, 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 no. The gospel is for bad boys and bad girls who admit that they're sinful. And then when we come to Christ, he gradually cleans us up so that we become more and more like Jesus. Hey. So, folks, you don't have to carry a burden of guilt anymore. You don't have to carry the weight of shame or cringing fear any longer. He was chastised. He was given many stripes. And it's that punishment that brings us peace and healing. That's what Isaiah is saying to us. And when you read Isaiah 52, I love this, verse 11. Have a look at this. See, my servant will prosper... He will be highly exalted, but many were amazed when they saw him. This is Jesus. His face was so disfigured he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance one would scarcely know that he was a man. Isaiah sees Jesus and and he doesn't recognise him. What those Roman soldiers and executioners did was vicious and vile. They beat him so much. They would have broken his teeth. They would have busted his jaw. His face was disfigured that he, he didn't, what to say, he doesn't even look like a man. Hey, hey. Scarcely know that he was a man. The crucifixion was brutal. His face was beaten unrecognisable. It says they beat his face. They beat it. They smashed his body. Not just whipping. You can whip a person without killing them. But they put little metal and bone fragments at the end of the whip. And it's called scourging. And a scourging means you rip the flesh off. They did it front and back. 
So you expose the ribs, you expose the inner... So the person dies very quickly of some infection. They scourged him. The Prince of Peace, the Son of God. What they did to him. You might think, Pastor Bill, why are you giving us such an ugly picture? Because when you see this, you realise the love of God. The price that God paid for your salvation. When you get a vision of the cross, you say, oh, I don't want to sin. Lord, help me to stop sinning. Empower me. It motivates you to live the life that you want to live, the need to live. And it says in verse 15, I love this. So when it says in verse 13 and 14, this is the end of of, of chapter 52 of Isaiah. See, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one could scarcely know he was a man. Then he goes on to say, and he will startle many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence. For they will see what they had not been told. They will understand what they had not heard. The church of Jesus, his body has been growing strong. His kingdom has been advancing on planet Earth for the last 2,000 years. There are 2 billion of us now. 2 billion out of 8 billion are Christians, even more. The kingdom of God is advancing and growing through you. The kingdom of peace, the kingdom of love. As you get saved, you infect your family and your friends. And as we go and evangelise, and I loved your songs, your songs are all about evangelism and church planting. As you go out and evangelise and plant churches, you are expanding the kingdom of God. He says this here. And he makes this comment. Wonderful comment about the advancement of the kingdom. He will startle nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence. There'll be a day when every government will bow their knee to Jesus. If they don't choose to bow their knee now, there will be a day of judgment. And kings over the past 2,000 years, governments have bowed their knees. They've been petty dictators, they've been vicious men and women ruling, but they've all bitten the dust. They've all died. But Jesus is still alive. Hallelujah. Hey, there was a king in England called Henry, Henry II, around 1100 AD, from the Plantagenet family, the longest ruling family in, in, in England. And his best friend was a guy named Tom. And he made him the Chancellor. I was take charge of all the revenue and be my best man and all that stuff. And he was having trouble with the church. Then it was the Catholic Church that, that, that was in control. And so he said, oh, Tom, he goes, I'm going to make you the Archbishop of Canterbury. So Thomas Becket became the Archbishop of Canterbury. But something happened to Tom Becket when he became Archbishop. He got saved. He started loving Jesus. And Jesus' culture took over from King Henry II culture. And there was conflict. And Henry's best friend is now serving Jesus and... and and Henry's going, what the heck? And so one day Henry does a mentor. He's, he has, he's an angry man. And he's, got, he's with a, a group of knights, some of his young boys, you know. And he's going, oh, that, that Thomas. Oh, who's going to get rid of this troublesome priest for me? 
And those boys go, ooh, he's just given us the order to kill him. No, he didn't. Those boys got on their horses, went to Canterbury Cathedral and killed Thomas Beckett in front of all the monks there at Canterbury Cathedral. His body was buried there. The place went in an uproar. You know, the king, within a few months, had to come to Canterbury Cathedral, strip off his clothes, and the monks that were there who witnessed Tom Beckett's murder whipped him as punishment. The king was bowing to Jesus because he did the wrong thing. So kings bow. Henry II bowed before Jesus. Hey, there was another king named George in the 1700s, George II. And they said, George, let's go and see the, the new song that, that, that Handel's put together. This is a great German composer. He's done this thing called the Messiah. So the king goes to see the first presentation of the Messiah. Anyone seen the Messiah? Have you heard the song of the Messiah? And he shall reign forever and ever. I should join the choir. And when the hallelujah chorus came that he shall reign, do you know what happened? The king stood up. He is, there's only one king of kings and he is Jesus. And the king of England stood up and said he is the king of kings. And ever since then, whenever the Messiah has been played, everyone stands up. Because Jesus is the king. So kings have bowed their knee to Jesus. And they still will bow their knee to Jesus. You know, Lenin and Stalin took Marxism and in the 1917 to 1930s, they tried to extinguish Christianity. They killed 30,000 Russian Orthodox priests. They blew up buildings, churches. They confiscated property. When communism collapsed in 1991, 20% of the Russian people said they believed in Jesus. Do you know now, 30 years later, how many believe in Jesus? 80%. 80%. Now, they're not evangelical Pentecostal like us, though. There are evangelical Pentecostal churches. They're like Greek Orthodoxy, but they believe. The Bible is the word of God. They believe that Jesus is the Christ. They believe that he rose from the dead. So Nazism collapsed. Hitler is dead, but the church is strong. He tried to extinguish the church. He tried to kill the church. Lenin and Stalin tried to kill the church. Mao Zedong tried to kill the church. Killed thousands of Christian pastors. Do you know how many Christians there are now in China? 150 million Christians. The government says 70 million, 60, 70. That's not true. It's double that. It's about 150 million Christians. And the way it's growing, by the year 2050, there'll be 300 million Chinese Christians. Jesus is ruling this world. His kingdom is advancing. And one day when he returns, he'll wrap everything up and create a new earth. Totally. It'll be like it was in the Garden of Eden. Going back to Isaiah, he says this. Isaiah 1 and 2. Who has believed our message? Are they putting up the scriptures? Okay, Isaiah chapter 53 verses 1 and 2. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot. Have a look at this. Like a tender green shoot 
like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. This is before the crucifixion. Now, I don't know how you guys view it, but I don't like the Western view of Jesus, the Anglo-Saxon view of Jesus. Beautiful face, long blonde hair, blue eyes. Give me a break. He looked more like a Ghanaian. Hey, he was dark. And you know what? Most of you are more handsome and prettier to look at than Jesus. So if you think, you know what, I look in the mirror and I'm not the best looking. I'm not the best looking male. I'm not the best looking female. Because we judge people by how they look. Jesus didn't come looking like Alexander the Great. You see the statues of Alexander? Blonde, blue. It says here, in fact, he was a little bit on the ugly side. Ooh. There was nothing in him that you would be attracted to to say, oh, this is a charismatic leader. This is a good-looking boy. Why? Because he wanted to identify with most human beings. He didn't want to identify with the tall, the beautiful. He wanted to identify with the ordinary person. So if you look in the mirror and go, I'm just ordinary, I don't look the best, you should say, you know what? I'm like Jesus. And he loves me. And he dignifies humanity. He dignifies us what we look like. So Isaiah says, he's, he's, he's Mr. Ordinary, and he identifies with you. If you have an image of yourself, you say, I don't like myself. I wish my nose was smaller. See, my nose is big. And when I was skinny, when I was a skinny boy, my nose was like this. And I used to walk around when I was a kid, and I'm six foot four, and I'd walk around hiding, hiding how high. I'm only 13 years of age, and my mother would come up to me, and she'd whack me on the back. What are you doing? She'd go, stand up. Stand up, Billy, she'd say. People are going to look up to you one day. She would always speak the opposite to what I was feeling. She would speak the opposite. And Jesus speaks the opposite to you, what you're feeling about yourself. How you look, how you feel. He is Mr. Ordinary. And perhaps a little bit on the uglier side, from what Isaiah said. So there's nothing in the natural. See, at the Garden of Gethsemane, they didn't know who was Jesus. So Judas had to betray him with a kiss. Because the soldiers probably would have gone to Peter. He looks like a charismatic person. Oh, Peter, that's Jesus. No, 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 no. So he had to betray him with a kiss. And then when, of course, the soldiers, when Jesus said, it's me... They were shocked. <laughs> he, just spent, he just spent the night in prayer, interceding. Angels were ministering to him. He was so anointed that when they said, it's me, they fell over, <laughs> collapsed. Not because of his physical beauty, but because of the anointing of God's spirit in him and on him through his praying and believing. Cool. In verses 3 to 5, let's read this, Isaiah says this. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. Notice that? Despised, rejected, acquainted with the deepest grief, like some of you. 
We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses, our infirmities that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion or our transgressions and crushed for our sins, our iniquities. It says he was beaten in verse 5 to 7 so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. Jesus was physically massacred, his body. was massacred. When we see him in heaven, when you see him, you'll be shocked. Because you look at his face, oh, wow. It's disfigured. It didn't go back to pre-cross. If he opens up his shirt, you go, oh, his body has been massacred. When he appeared as the resurrected Christ, he showed him his hands. He showed him the side. Those wounds did not go away. Forever, when we look at our Saviour in eternity, we'll be reminded of the price that was paid to, to bring us salvation. But he was emotionally abused. He was sexually abused by those, the execution process. You see pictures of crucified people, they're covered over with a loin. Nah. The Romans would crucify them naked, right before their mothers, their sisters, the women. Why? To shame them psychologically to beat them, to emotionally trouble them. The Romans didn't just want to kill a person. They wanted it to be a statement for everyone saying, that's what's going to happen to you if you disobey me. You imagine that. Put yourself in that position. No clothes, hanging up there. Your mum, your sisters, all the women that were there. The men ran away. The women were faithful. That's abuse. He was abused. And some of you women and men that have been abused sexually, you might say, how could anyone understand that? You may have been abused as a little girl, like my wife was physically beaten badly. Her younger sister was sexually abused by the father. He was a bad man. Bad man. You might think, how does Jesus really understand that? He understands it because he himself was physically abused and he was emotionally abused and he was sexually abused. In fact, I have a theory and I can't prove it, but those men, executioners, if you do any reading of people that are on death row, where you've got men that have total power and control over men and women, what they do to them before they die is unbelievable. It's unmentionable. Unmentionable things. 
what the Russian soldiers are doing to those Ukrainian boys and what the Ukrainian boys are doing to the Russian soldiers is unspeakable when they catch them. I read it and I get shocked. I thought, oh. See, if you have total power over a person and your sinful nature comes to the fore and anointed by devils, you would do all kinds of horrible things. And I think Jesus went through the worst. Why do I say that? Because some of you have gone through stuff that you think, I can't talk to anyone. What my daddy did to me, what my brother did to me, what my mother did to me. Jesus understands. And you can't keep a se- you cannot keep it a secret. Because if you keep it a secret and have it hidden, it has power over you. You've got to bring it out in the open and say, Jesus, you understand. Lord, you went through it. I need your healing. I need to be healed of this, of what's happened to me as a little girl, as a little boy. And you probably need to talk to somebody, another, a mature woman, a mature man, and, and to offload and to talk and to receive prayer so you can be healed of this thing. Jesus went through it. That's why I hope, from what I'm sharing with you, you'll never forget. Before he became the sovereign Lord of life, he was the suffering servant on your behalf to save you, to heal you, to restore you, to give you hope, to give you encouragement, to say, I went through it so that you don't have to go through it. I went through it so that I can heal you of all the things that that are holding you back. Yes, he was humiliated before a hostile, jeering crowd. He was led, it says in verse 7, like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. And verses 8 to 9 says this, unjustly condemned is Isaiah 53, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants. How's this? He wasn't married. He never had children. That his life was cut short in midstream, 33 years of age. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal, but he was put in a rich man's grave, Joseph of Arimathea. I've been to his tomb in Jerusalem. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. And folks, you are his spiritual descendants today. He didn't get married to have kids. But he's produced hundreds and hundreds of millions of people that are his children, that are followers of Christ, that are the people, that are the redeemed people of God. It says in verse 10, and I'll finish with this, it says, He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear their sins. When he looks at you, he is satisfied. And he says, you know what? I did it for you. Not just for us, but for you. When you read Isaiah 52, 53 and John chapter 19, he did it for you. It's personal. You get a vision 
of the suffering Messiah on your behalf, you let the Holy Spirit open your eyes and touch your heart, you'll never be the same again. It'll establish you in the faith. It'll empower you from giving in to temptation to go back. Because you can say, how can I go back? No one's loved me like Jesus has loved me. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's stand together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. Maybe if we have a song that would be appropriate. A song about Jesus. A song about the cross. A song about our salvation. Loving Father, thank you for our church service this morning. Thank you that we can talk about Jesus, the suffering servant saviour who sacrificed his life that we might go free. That our sins could be covered over that our lives could be healed. We thank you. We praise you. Listen, lead us. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. And you have been so, so good to me. a breath, you breathe your life in me, and you have been so, so kind to me. love of God I want to open up the front here for anyone that wants to respond to Jesus today this is not a counseling session this is between you and the Lord maybe what I've shared something has shifted in your heart I'm very conscious that there are people here that have been severely abused and you think you're on your own You think, I can't talk about this. How would God understand? He understands. The suffering Messiah understands. He walks with you. He talks with you. He heals our past to free us to enjoy the present. And if you have things that you say, you know what? I need Jesus to heal my soul of stuff that I haven't talked about or shared with.
And you may need to start that, to actually start to talk to somebody. But I'd love to pray with you, not to talk between you and God, to pray with you. My wife will lay hands on you as well. And we'll just pray that the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, will commence a healing process within you. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus and you haven't crossed over from here to there. You're here because you have a respect for God. You're not anti-God, but God is not your friend. There's a general faith, but you don't have a specific faith. or, or, or where you, Jesus is out there, but he's not inside. And you're saying, Pastor Bill, I, I want to settle the deal. I want to give my life to Jesus. I need to be born again. I need to be spirit-filled. I need to understand the love of God and the power of the cross to change my life. If you'd like to come forward as well, I'd love to pray with you. And, and the pastors and leaders here will, will be able to share with you of, of how to walk the Christian life. As we sing this song again, if you need prayer, and we're not going to take a long time, I know there's another service coming, but I'd like you to line up here, and we're just going to go across, I'm going to anoint you with oil. I've got anointing oil here. I'm going to anoint you with oil as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And as I lay hands on you, as I anoint you, I'm going to anoint you with the, the, the figure of the cross. Because it's through the cross of Jesus Christ and through his death and resurrection that the Holy Spirit has come. And oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And as soon as I lay hands, my wife lays hands on you and I anoint you with oil, you reach out to Jesus and you receive your healing or accept him as your saviour. This is the beginning of a turning around in your life. This is the beginning of, of a change to what's happened in the past to that you're going to be free to enjoy a positive future. As we sing this song, you come quickly out the front here now. have come forward if you know you should be out the front here that the Lord has spoken to your heart that it's time for you to face up to your need for healing on the inside then you come don't hold back, don't be ashamed don't be fearful don't let guilt and fear and shame hold you back Jesus is your healer He is your saviour He is your restorer he loves you. He has called you. This is a divine appointment for many of you today. You didn't expect this at church. But this is the day of your deliverance. This is the day of salvation. This is the day of healing. Do not live being tormented by what happened to you in the past. Live in the freedom that Jesus Christ brings through his death on a cross. He suffered for you that you might be free 
Like King David felt such shame and such fear because of all the sins he'd committed, but he got free of that. So if you need to become and come forward and, and respond to Jesus, reach out to him now. Worship him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise your name. Folks, as you're out the front here, I'd like you just to, I'm going to anoint you with oil and my wife's going to pray with you as well. I'd like you just to lift your hands like this. With open hands like this, open hands, both hands raised. It's a physical thing. Because what you're doing as you're lifting your hands like this is you're saying, I surrender to you, Jesus. I surrender to you, Jesus. And I receive from your Holy Spirit the healing that I now need in you. Hallelujah. So as I anoint you with oil and lay hands upon you and the pastors will come behind you, you receive from Jesus Christ. He is the healer. He is the saviour. Give your life to him. Yield over to him now. In Let's 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. In the congregation, just reach out your hands and pray for these folks. And as you in the front here, lifting your hands, you're surrendering to Jesus. Surrender to him who loves you. Surrender to him who died on a cross for you. Surrender to him who carried your sins. Surrender to him who carried your burdens. Who understands your pain and your suffering. And the injuries that have been done to your inner spirit. He heals you now. He heals you now. Lord Jesus, manifest your presence through the Holy Spirit and cause new life to come into the lives of people who are giving their lives to Jesus. Lord, restore and heal those that have been troubled, those that have been sinned against. Heal their souls. Those who have sinned, forgive them their sins. Cleanse them like you cleansed King David. Thank you, Lord, for your saving grace. Thank you for your healing mercy. We give you praise. We give you honour for touching these folks and for touching us all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. We believe you have been blessed by this powerful teaching from the Macarius Church headquarters, East Legon Hills, Accra. Stay blessed. I am waiting. 